0: All right, so um, Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. And it's also week 8 through the book of Nehemiah. And so if you need a Bible, we have Bibles provided in the seats here. And if you have some on the end, just look down your aisle and make sure everybody has one that needs one. And if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, take those paperback Bibles home. Uh, It's our gift to you. We've been walking through the book of Nehemiah for the entire fall together. Uh, It's a story about the rebuilding and the restoration of God's city, uh, the city of Jerusalem. This city, as we've said all along the way, has been designed by God to display to the world what it might look like if God's people lived together in unity with the Lord at the focus center, that they might live lives that are exemplary, lives that are focused and centered on him, and that it would then be a city that radiates the glory of the Lord. Now, there were certainly seasons in history of faithfulness where they were faithful and the city did radiate the glory of the Lord, but the most recent uh, time period in history is marked by unfaithfulness. Thus, the judgment of the Lord comes upon Jerusalem through Babylon. The city was destroyed 141 years prior to where we're at today until God raises up this man named Nehemiah. He puts a burden on Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the city and to see the city glorifying the Lord again so that it might glorify the Lord in the city, uh, throughout the city region, throughout the nations throughout the world globally and so that's the goal and we have turned a major corner in the story here the walls of the city are now complete and all along the way Nehemiah's casting vision we're going to build the walls we're going to build the walls we're going to fortify the city it's going to be strengthened people then can move back in and people then can worship God in the city and it's going to be the city on the hill that God intended for it to be and so people are back in the walls are completed people are back in it's been hundred and forty years in ruin, and in just 52 days, Nehemiah and team have built the city. And so last week, chapter 7, what they did after having completed the city is they pull out the genealogical chart. Anybody ever been on Ancestry.com or whatever it is and figured out, they pulled out the chart, And uh, they figured out, okay, whose great-great-grandparents owned this piece of property, and then they assigned it, and everybody went to where they were supposed to be, whether it was in the city, whether it was in the the burbs. Now, of course, everybody didn't return. Some people kind of assimilated into uh, the various areas where they were scattered and exiled over the years, and some people didn't return, but people did return, of course. And of all the people that returned, we saw last week that there was right at... 50,000 people. And so, Nehemiah chapter 7, verses 66 and 67 say right at 50,000 people. It's a lot of people back in the city and seeking to honor the Lord. Now, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 is where we're going to be. And so, let's do this together. Let's read it. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. It says, and all the people gathered as one person, one man, into the square for the water gate and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Let's stop right there if we can together. I want to look at this for just a minute. What we're going to do today as we see here in verse 1 is we're going to we're going to look at the word, the the scripture. They get together and they're ready to look at the word. They're calling Ezra, "Bring us the word." So, God has done this amazing work in the lives of his people And now it's this amazing miracle that the city has been restored. But on top of this, we've also seen along the way that God has restored the heart of the people who make up the city. So back in uh, chapter 5, we saw that the people had uh, been just ridden with corruption and they deal with that. And so the city is restored, their hearts are restored, and they're dealing with their action. And what we need to see today is that God's work in their lives is evidenced by a desire for God's word in their lives. Let me, let me say that again, because it's true for us today too, that, that God's work is evidenced by a hunger for God's word. And some of you have seen that in your own life, that God starts working in your life and you just find yourself hungry for the word, for the scripture, for the, the Bible. And today, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the word. We're talking about the book, the Bible. And so you may have noticed my little stack of books up here. These are my books. Bibles, And so uh, I'll tell you, when I wake up every morning, I pull out this bad boy. And I, I, I make fun of my wife because she's got the exact same Bible, and she's so tiny. This is like the size of her torso, and she carries this thing around, and that's all she's got to do to work out. But uh, for me, I, I <laughs> so it's strong in the Word and strong physically by holding the Word. But I, I wake up every morning and early in the morning, and I sit down, and I use this Bible to study the Scriptures. And so this is my, this is my study Bible. Not long after, my children will wake up and we'll open this little kid's Bible together and we'll walk through the scripture together coming up on Christmas here. As you can see, Jesus in the manger. We'll walk through that and talk about the Lord and study uh, the, the scripture together. This one is what I call my driving Bible. And so um, don't worry, I don't, I don't read while driving, but uh, this, is my, this is my driving Bible. And yes, you can be a Christian inside of your car in Boston. It's possible. And uh, I try really hard. It's challenging. I'll say that. But so I have this in my car so that if I'm ever at a spot where I realize I don't have a Bible with me, I can pull this one out and I can look at the scriptures or if I'm ever in a conversation uh, in a car ride with somebody, I can say, oh, you know, hold up, we'll pull over, we'll do something, and we'll we'll study the, the Scripture together, so I'll, I'll use that one. Then I have my office Bible, and so this one is a, a parallel New Testament, so it's got uh, Greek, and it's got English, and I'll study this together in my office. It sits on my desk, and I'll, I'll kind of look through the, the languages a little bit, and so this is kind of my, for me, my office Bible. This one is my, my pocket Bible right here, and so um, uh, it's my my smartphone Bible, and some of you have... Found this, if you haven't downloaded the, the Bible app, just look up Bible app. It's really, really incredible. Some of you have trouble focusing in a little bit when you're reading Scripture. You can click play, and it will read the Bible to you. How cool is that? And so this is my, my pocket Bible. It helps. And then this one, you've seen a lot of this one around here on Sundays. This is what I call my thumping Bible, right? This is, I just, I just thump with it, you know, and I, I, I preach from this uh, copy of God's Word. And so as you can tell, I, I have a few copies of the Bible. And let me just say right out of the gate that I am unbelievably grateful to God for the freedom to have this many Bibles in my life and to have this many copies of God's Word scattered all over the place. I am fully aware that in many countries, even today, to have one copy of God's Word, it has to be smuggled in. I recently spoke to a missionary uh, when I was down at this conference and he was talking to me about how they, they're smuggling Bibles and today they're doing it on thumb drives, right? Just a little thumb drive. You've got a copy of God's Word, uh, you know, encrypted or whatever. I don't know, computer talk. In, into the thumb drive. They plug it into their computer and then they can can go about it that way because, you know, the government has access to their cell phones and so the apps are kind of dangerous but they can use a thumb drive and plug it into their computer offline. And so that's what they're doing. Listen, I am so grateful. You should be so grateful to have a copy of God's Word. Some people look at it with, you know, cynicism, say, oh, we're just a bunch of Bible brats in America. You know, we have, I mean, look at that stack of Bibles. We're so, we, we just have all this access to God's Word, and we're so you know, full of it in that regard. Let, let me just say this. Don't look at it negatively, that, oh, you know, we have all these Bibles. You hear preachers say, we got all these Bibles, and you need to dust them off, and that's true, but look at it positively, that we're at a point in history in our nation where we can have access to Bibles, and it is an absolute gift of God but also remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12 verse 48 he says everyone to whom much is given what much will also be required and so we counted a privilege to have this many Bibles but God says I expect you to be in my word you've got access to it you need to be in the scriptures and so I have them strategically placed all over my house all over my life my car my office everywhere because I really believe, one thing that I've learned over the years is that these words are the power of God. These words are the power of God. Let me show you just a sampling of Scripture um, that, that really I want to show you this. Psalm 33, verse 6 tells us this. It says, By the words of the Lord, the heavens were made, and the breath of his mouth all their host. And so we can see that that, God has spoken everything into existence, right? God is just, by his word, he's spoken everything into existence so that Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, right? And so my kids will say, well, you know, look at, look at the, the computer, Dad. I mean, God didn't make that, did he? I said, yeah, but he made us who have minds and he made the elements on the chart that come together to... God's made everything, God has made everything out of nothing by his invisible, powerful word. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so God's word is not something that he just flexed long ago, one time, and and created everything, but He upholds all things, some translations will say, or he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 will say it this way, in him all things hold together. And so by the the word of the Lord, all things hold together. And so you scientists out there, you can think about our uh, atomic structure, you know, of of our bodies, for example, and and atoms, you know, are, are not scattering into chaos, because they're held together by some mysterious nuclear forces. And we're all for science, but science can only name the atoms, right? They can't really explain the force that keeps them together. And we know what that is. It's the word of his power that he holds all things together. He's sustaining all things together by his word, by his word. And so we see that his word was powerful to create. We see that his word is powerful to Sustain. But imagine if these words were now put into a book and preserved throughout all of history so that we could read them and ingest them and meditate on them and let them just resonate in our hearts and in our minds. If we could then dwell on them and learn them and we could then speak them to each other. That's the Bible, the powerful word of God. Do not take it for granted that we have the word, the powerful word of God preserved for us to read, to understand, to dwell on, to let it be. Hebrews chapter 4, 12, living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. I mean, it's living and active. That's why when I do counseling with people, I don't just simply say, and so how does that make you feel? And so how does that make you feel? And how about that? How does that make you feel? We talk about that, of course, But before they walk out of the door, one of the best things that I can do for them is say, let's get this inside of you. Are you reading this? And then it gets living and active inside of their hearts and their lives, and it starts to change them from the inside out. You got issues? We all do. Get the word in your heart. Get the word in your heart. This is no ordinary book. It's a powerful book. It's God's. Word, and we need it all up in and all over our lives. We need it. And so, this is this momentous occasion in the lives of the people of Israel here. And upon seeing their city rebuilt, restored, and upon seeing their lives rebuilt and restored, God's work is evidenced by a hunger for God's Word. And so, for the remainder of our time together, what I want to do is I want to look at how God's people related to the book. And I want us to learn about how we can relate to the book, God's word, the scripture, the Bibles. And so relating to the book, and the first thing that I want to note in relating to the book from verse one is that we must desire the book. If you're taking notes, this would be a good week to do that. Take notes. We must desire the book. So all God's people are together, and what does it say that they demand? They demand the book, right? They demand the book of the law Of Moses. And so, this was their Bible for them at this point in history. The Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Revealed by God to Moses, recorded there for them. Can you just imagine this scene with me for a second? I mean, all the people, it says, all the people gathered together. How many is all the people? Do you remember? 50,000 people. Imagine, 50,000 people together. Pentateuch, Pentateuch. Too. They're just ready, right? They just desire the scriptures. What causes somebody to desire the scriptures? What causes you to desire anything? It's when you see the value in something, right? You see the value in something. Like with my wife, I remember we first started dating, I desired that woman, right? Because I saw that girl is special, right? She's valuable, right? You value somebody. And so they saw value in the book, and they likely remembered how in the past they hadn't valued the book very well, right? And they remembered how not valuing the book led to their destruction. And now they're back in the city, and they want to prevent that from happening again, and so they're saying, okay, we, no, we value this book. And as you read through the scriptures, and as you look through history, you're going to see that when somebody treasures the book, they prosper. Scripture will do that all the time. Example, Joshua chapter one eight. this book of the law, this book shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way, what? Prosperous. And then you will have good success in the eyes of the Lord. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. My father-in-law tells me when he became a believer, this was within a, a few weeks, the pastor that led him to the Lord said, I want you to memorize this, all of chapter 1 of, of Psalm. And he says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the book. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, what? He prospers. We see that all throughout the scriptures. The person who's of the book is a person who prospers in the eyes of the Lord. Prosperity, according to the Lord, is living a life that flows out of being deeply connected to the book, his words. And so the people knew that, and they start demanding the book. Give us the book. We want the book. Its words have proven directly linked to prosperity in their own lives. Now, I'm fully aware that lots of people don't desire the book. And the reason is because they don't see the value of the book, right? They don't have confidence in the book. They're not really certain that we can trust the, the book. I mean, what if, it's, what if it's made up? What if it was a little story that happened, but it kind of gets embellished along the way as, as rumors do? But what happens is most people have these little questions that pop into their mind, and they should, and they pop into your mind. You don't want to just mindlessly buy into something. But what people do is they just stop there and say, well, I got a little question. It must not be true. Is that how you do it? No, you press in and you seek uh, answers for the questions. And then if there's no answers, you give up. But there are answers, right? Don't let little doubts keep you from pursuing the book. Don't let little doubts keep you from valuing the, the Scripture, Because listen, if the claims of the scriptures are true, you don't want to miss this, right? They're worth at least stopping and seriously investigating. That's why Jeremiah 29, scripture will say, God says through Jeremiah, if you seek me, you what? What's the promise? You will find me. You will, if you search for me with all of your heart. Part of your heart? No, all of your heart, right? If you seek me with all of your heart. And So I would say, investigate the scripture. And we need to we need to cover chapter eight this morning, but I could go into all kinds of apologetics, defending the faith, and and walk you through this. But let me just give you a few thoughts just to whet your appetite and then I'll let you press in a little deeper. Hopefully this will just kind of get you thinking a little bit and drive you to investigating. Consider some of these things. Consider this. Consider that the Bible was written over fifteen hundred years by forty plus authors in three languages, Greek, Hebrew, Aramae, over three different continents. Most of these authors never met each other, yet somehow they tell the same story, that the Bible is internally consistent. It doesn't contradict itself. How do we explain that? We don't have somebody falling on the ground, foaming out of the mouth and standing up and saying, i got a religion, and then becoming one of the greatest religions in the world today. We don't have that. We have many authors most of whom didn't even know each other, sharing a unified story. Why? Because the Bible's true. We could also say that there is overwhelming number of manuscript evidence for the historicity of the Scriptures. So there's 5,000 Greek manuscripts, there's 10,000 Latin manuscripts, there's 9,000 other manuscripts in all, totaling about 24,000 manuscripts. Those manuscripts dated somewhere between. 100 to 300 years after the original. So we don't have original manuscripts, but they're dated only 100 to 300 years after the original manuscripts. According to historical uh, verifiability, if that's even a word, according to that, that's a very, very small gap. So we have gospel fragments like from 130 A.D. out of Egypt. We have the, the modern manuscript of John's gospel, only 150 to 200 years A.D., Or 50 AD, we have the the Dead Sea Scrolls. So let me just, let me kind of compare that to things that our historians today would say are historically verifiable. So Caesar, we have 10 copies. There's a 1,000-year gap from the original manuscript. We read that and historians will say, verifiable. 10 copies. Or Tacticus, 20 copies, a 1,000-year gap from the original manuscript. Historians read that, verifiable. Plato. Seven copies, 1,200-year gap from the original. We read that and we say verifiable. But we have 24,000 copies and only 100 to 300-year gap from the original. Verifiable. People don't want it to be verifiable because they read it and it rubs, doesn't it? It's not an easy read. It convicts us, but it is Historically verifiable. We could keep going. We could talk about eyewitness accounts paid for by non Christian Roman officials. We could, we could go to, through the, the literary consistency. We could go through prophecies that have been fulfilled, archaeological evidence that do not contradict the Scripture, only affirm and prop up the Scripture. We could go through all of that. But I just want you to, to think about that. And I want you to press in a little deeper if you struggle with the historicity of the Scripture. Do not be mistaken. This is not something we just buy into because we've been raised in the faith. And of course, you're a Christian. You were born into it. No, it's something that we really believe because we see it as the word of God. It's not a blind leap of faith. It's not a crutch for those people who are struggling. It's the word of God. Attacked throughout history by political leaders, but never eradicated like they saw it because God preserves his word. This is his method to communicate today, a message of restoration and the message of hope, that Jesus saves his people. So if you don't desire the word, press in. If you don't desire the word, investigate. There are answers. Don't let the doubts linger for your entire life until you die and you're not with the Lord for all eternity. Press in and ask the question. Our entire faith flows out of the book. Any faith system really leans upon can you verify its book? And you can verify this book. I would encourage you to do that. The people, they valued the book, and they desired to hear from it, and they demanded it. Give us the book. Give us the book. Let's read on. Verses 2 through 3. It says, So Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And all the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Okay, so the people desire, demand the book. And just a little side lesson here, who brings out the book? Ezra, this guy named Ezra. Now we've said this before, but Ezra and Nehemiah back to back in the Jewish Bible, one book. Christians split them. Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries. They worked hand in hand together. And Ezra, his role is he's the priest, right? According to the Mosaic law structure. He's the the priest. Who's been leading the charge this whole way in this book? Nehemiah. Who comes out now? Ezra. Nehemiah is the leader. You know, a really great leadership practice that we get here is leaders will allow other people to lead. You ever been in that company where your boss won't let you lead? He won't let you rise the rank because he feels threatened? Anybody? I'm sure many of us have. Insecure leaders have to do it all themselves, don't they? you seen that? They have to do it all themselves. But last week, we saw the humility of Nehemiah in chapter 7, in chapter 6. This guy was a humble, humble man. And here, he says, Ezra, you lead this charge. You're the priest. This is your area of expertise. Go for it. And he lets Ezra lead where he is most equipped. And this, what does it do for, for an organization? It strengthens an organization when you have other people who are more gifted leading where they need to lead. And so listen, let me just say, if you're a leader somewhere, and many of us are leaders somewhere in our lives, not just in the church, but outside of the church, let other people lead. Don't be so self-absorbed so as not to share leadership. Share it. And a good leader is going to surround himself uh, intentionally with really good leaders, Right? Maybe you've been a part of the organization, you've seen it done before where a a leader will only hire people who are not really as gifted as that person because they feel threatened by having good people. No, it's only going to strengthen the organization if you put good leaders around you, and that's what Nehemiah does, and he lets Ezra lead, and Ezra and a few others lead throughout this chapter, and what does he do? He reads the scripture before all the people, and here's our next way that we're going to relate to the scripture, and that is... Number two, we're going to read the book. He reads the book. Very simple. When's the last time you've read the book? This week, hopefully, you've read the book. Was it last Sunday? Was it just a, a few days ago? Wasn't today? It wasn't yesterday? Is, is Bible reading a normal part of your life? It should be. I say this all the time, at running the risk of being a broken record, but this is so, so important. You need to make a plan as to how you're going to read the Scriptures. If something is important to you, you plan for it, right? So retirement, you're gonna plan for that, right? How you're gonna get to that degree that you want, you're gonna you're gonna plan for it. You're gonna chart that thing out. There's a person that you're pursuing, you're gonna plan. I'm gonna take him on a date, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna buy him this and this and this and this, and I'm gonna pursue. If something's important to you, you make a plan. You wanna lose some weight? I'm gonna lose 20 pounds. You don't just say, I'm going to lose 20 pounds because you're not going to lose 20 pounds. If you don't make a plan, it's not going to happen. So I say it all the time. You need to develop your who, your what, your when, your where, and even you need to know your why. So your who? Jesus. Right? I want to draw near to Jesus. Your what? I'm going to read the, the book of Luke. Does anybody, do you know what book of scripture you are trying to attack right now? When? Like set a date, put it on the calendar so that you can know if you stood up the Lord today. 6 a.m., I'm going to sit down, a cup of coffee, and I'm going to read. Or uh, I had this break in my class schedule. Or I had this lunch break, and I'm going to go here, and I'm going to do that. So also ask your where. Where, where are you going to do this? Right, set a date, set a place. I'm going to be at my desk. I'm going to be in this, this cozy little nook at my office place where it's kind of quiet during my break, and I can, I can read my scriptures. And you can develop your, your why. And your why is because I believe that this is the word of the Lord and it's powerful. Listen, if you don't get that, as we said at the beginning, if you don't see the value of the scripture, you're not going to want a plan. You're not going to want to draw near to the Lord in scripture, but you have to be serious about that. Develop a plan and read the book. Now, who read the book? Everyone. Everyone read the book, it says. It says all who could understand what they heard, which leads to our next point. Number three is this. Give everyone the word. Let me say that again. Give everyone the word. And who's everyone here? It says men and women, and then it says, and all who could understand, and it says it twice. So I believe that also would include children. We don't read that, okay, the, the adults went to the water gate, and the children went to the muster gate, the nursery, right? And now it's the, all who could understand. All who could understand. So, So many churches today we will we'll move their church services towards a, a performance style, you know, with professionals up front all the time, and it's going to be as professional as possible, and I'm all for that, but what can often happen in that is we start to see the church as kind of this Broadway performance, we want it to look awesome, we want it to be so great that we, we start to discourage noise, like, you need to be quiet, right? You need to, you come to church, you need to be quiet so we can put on the, the show, and so parents with children feel like, oh, this is not a good spot for my kid. Now listen, here's how we see it. We, we love the squeaking and the squawking. We love it in our church. We, just, we see it as a sign of God's blessing, right? Children are a blessing from the Lord. So when we hear that, don't, don't go, oh, man, I'm just, they hate me right now. We love you. Thank you for, for bringing kids here. Thank you for valuing your children. Thank you for seeing it as a very worthy investment to bring children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Parents, is it convenient to bring your kids to church on a Sunday morning? Absolutely not. (laughs) I'm not going to stand up here and say, bring it to church. It's going to be the easiest thing ever. Listen, it is easy for you to stay at home in your pajamas because your kid's about to take a nap at 10 o'clock on every other day of the week, but not this week. He's going to come to church and be screaming and embarrass the mess out of you, but you just suck it up and smile and say, pray Jesus all the time. Listen, it's not easy. It's not convenient. But we value, we value the Lord. So we just say, well, we're not going to do church, well, at least till my kid's eight. And then when your kid's eight, guess what? You're out of that routine. It's not even remote uh, possibility on your, your radar screen. It says, listen, all who could understand were there. Was there some squeaking and squawking? You bet there was squeaking and squawking. Let me tell you something. I think our kids can understand a lot more than we give them credit for. Especially in our culture. There are times when my kids will say something to us, and my wife and I will look at each other like, they heard that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we're, that, that just in, we're indicted for everything else now because of that. Like, they heard that. They can hear every. Uh, we're in big trouble, right? Listen, my boys memorize more scripture in their first five years of life than I did in probably my first 25 years of life. Low expectations equal low performance. Set the bar high for your kids. Don't buy the cultural lie that, oh, they're just kids. They can't do much. What did Jesus do with the kids? You remember? Let them come. Let them come. Let them come. Right? And I'm not tooting my kids' horns because, listen, I'll read Scripture and I'll read history about how the Jewish kids will memorize entire books of the Bible. And I'm like, my kids are, man, this is. Parents, that plan that we were talking about, if you have kids, Do you have a plan for your children? Are they built into that plan? If you aim at nothing, you hit nothing. So set a plan even with your children. I'd say this is go to our website. We have resources on there. If you go on our resource page, we have some really good books, some catechism stuff, some scripture memory tools for you and your your children, some helps for you as a parent as to how you can raise your kid in the Lord. But listen, get the most valuable living active word of God all up in their hearts and in their hands so that they can be one who it says all who can understand because I believe that they really can understand. They can. It just seems like it's this real emphasis here in verses two and and three. Another observation is this. Be attentive to the book. Look at verse three. Verse three says, and all the people were attentive to the book. So they weren't just reading the book out of formality. Hey, it's a big celebration, so let's, uh, let's, let's read the book. Let's do it. And it's just nice, good formality. It's our liturgy for the day. No. It wasn't a formality. They were attentive. They were listening. They were really seeking to, to learn from it and, and grow from, from it. And, and a lot of times we just kind of read the book as, a, you know, it's, it's as if to say, I, I read it. I did it. I did my part for the day. Check. I, I'm I'm good. And we read the scriptures sometimes just to feel good about ourselves. I did it. I'm a good person. I'm a good Christian. God, aren't you pleased with me? That's called religion. This isn't religion. This is draw near to the Lord. He draws near to you. So as you read the scripture, pay careful, careful attention as to what it, what it says. Read it, draw near to God. So every January, what you'll see as we do at this church, is we, we get out a, a Bible reading plan, and really encourage you. It's a good time of year. You're making all these resolutions. Here's a plan. Make a plan as to how you're going to get in the scripture. And we have these Bible read plans with little places where you can check off reading books of the Bible. And I, I would just say, I, I really want to encourage you to do that. But don't get so locked into making the checks and getting it done in a year that you don't pay attention to what's being read and you're just reading it. I've been on my Bible read through. Maybe this will feel some of you who aren't doing so hot on it. I've been on mine for three years. Not because I'm not reading it, because there's spots I just get into it. I'm like, man, Isaiah 48 just wrecked me last week. Just sat in that. I was, this is unreal. And just a whole week of just sitting in one chapter, right? That's okay. I didn't get three per day like I needed to to get it accomplished. 3.25, I think it is. But pay attention to the book. You know what that takes? It takes time. Which leads us to our next observation. Make time for the book. Verse 3. How long did Ezra read spending, uh, or spend reading the book before the people? Verse 3 says, from early morning until midday. They're, they're reading the book. This guy stood for six hours reading the scriptures. Don't you ever tell me that I preach long today again. I'll be all up on you with this right here. Acts chapter 20, Paul's preaching this sermon that goes on and on. And it says, how late does it go? All the way up until midnight. Until this young guy named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill. And he falls asleep and he dies. Three stories. The guy falls asleep, falls out the window, and he dies because Paul was going long. Now, I don't have that gift so,, um, if you fall asleep on me, it 's over. i 'm just going to let you know that i can't I can't resurrect anybody. You deserved it for falling asleep. But this is one of those circumstantial evidences. I, I like to point these out from time to time as I preach the scriptures. This is just what I call circumstantial evidence. like if you're making up the Bible, would you include that? And my sermon was so boring that people were falling asleep. No, you wouldn't. If you're making it up, you'd be like, and I was awesome, right? And they were on the edge of their seats. He was like, sermon was so boring. Luke, write this down because Luke wrote for Paul a lot. Write this down. It was boring. He fell asleep. And then I raised him to life, right? This summer, uh, my wife Becky and I got to spend some time with uh, a guy named David Platt. Some of you guys know him. He wrote the book Radical. If you haven't read it, you should totally read it. And in that book, he talks about uh, going overseas in closed countries with these Christians who are so hungry for the Bible that he shows up thinking, I'm going to just do like a 30-minute Bible study with them. And they just go for hours and hours throughout the entire day. Come back tomorrow, right? All day long tomorrow, right? All day long on dirt floors. I mean, that is incredible. Compare that. That's today. That's modern. That's just not way back then. No, it's today happening in other countries where they really value the book where they're they're not as free as we are, and so it's not just kind of this complacent, oh, yeah, of course, we can read the Bible. i got 10 in my home. They really value the book. Compare that to just the other day I was in Florida. We were in the middle of this this sermon. This guy was preaching his heart out, and I thought it was just a phenomenal message. And, And I noticed... In the middle of the sermon, this older gentleman starts walking his way up the aisle, and there were two back doors, and he was heading for the back door, and I thought, what's he going to do? But he walks right past the pastor who's preaching his heart out. He looks at him, he goes, time's up, got to go, and walks right out the door. Are you kidding me? Like, you crossed the 30-minute threshold. We're done. Six hours, at least, of reading the Scripture. Listen, when you value the Scripture... This becomes to you such a priority that it's not like, I don't have time for that. You're looking at your watch the whole time. No, this is such a priority that y- y- you're going to make time for it. Like, we don't even have 30-minute sitcoms hardly anymore today. It's not long enough. We've got to stretch them out to like an hour now. Three hours for a game, but a 30-minute sermon, time's up, Pastor. Got to get out of here. You're wasting my time. You value the book so much that you make time for it personally. You make time for it corporately. This becomes a priority. Church becomes a priority. Not, well, if I don't have anything else going on this weekend, I'll show up. That's that's the American culture. No, we build our schedules around being with God's people and looking at the scriptures and worshiping the Lord. I think that's what God's people did in the scripture wasn't like, if I can, I will. No, it's, this is the priority. This is the first thing on my calendar. That's why the Bible will talk about the principle of the first fruits, and we generally only apply that to our giving, but I think it applies to our time. We give God the first fruits of our time. Moving forward, look at verses four and five together. Four and five, and it says, in. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood Methiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Mesheiah on his right hand, uh, and Pedadiah, Mashael, Melkijah, Hashem, Hashab, Benadab, Zechariah, uh, Meshalam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. Here's our our next one. Number six is this. Sit under preaching of the book. Sit under preaching of the book. What did they do for this occasion? They built a stage for him to stand on. And they put him in the middle and they said, all right, bring it, Ezra, bring it. Did they put him on the stage because he was awesome? No. They put him on the stage because he's reading the book, the words of God. It says that he's above all the people. Is that because he's better? No, it's saying that God's word is above us. God's word is our authority. We submit to the word of God. And just to be clear, there are other men standing on the stage alongside of him. Why? Other men standing beside of him showing that he's accountable. So that if he starts to go astray from God's word, they're going to say, no, 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 bring it back. That's why we say all the time from the scriptures, we believe from the scriptures in a plurality of leadership. There's other people alongside of him, shared leadership. This is not Ezra's word. This is God's word. This is never Josh or Ryan or Dan's word. This is God's word. It's God's word. Don't elevate preachers of the word, elevate the God of the word. Right? So Ezra gets up on the stage, and what does he do? It's a big day. He gets up on the stage. He says, verse 5, Ezra opened the book. He opened the book. I've been in some sermons in my lifetime. People barely even crack the book. get up and it's a lot of good jokes and a lot of good stories. And they barely even crack the book. You know, just give a little bit of a TED Talk, sprinkle a little scripture on there, a couple cute illustrations, and boom, you're done. Let me say this, because we're in a very transient city. Most of you will probably be here for a season and gone eventually. And let me just say this. If you're ever at a place in your life where you're searching for a church again, don't go just for the church that has the best music or the best facilities or the best program for your children or the best proximity to your home. Find a church where they open the book every single Sunday. Every single Sunday. Find a church where the book is faithfully taught. The New Testament makes it very clear that God expects us to be weekly, Hebrews 10, under the preaching of the scripture. And so he opens the book and you should get yourself regularly under the preaching of God's word. Do it, do it. Moving forward. Next one is this, respond to the book. We gotta respond to the book. Look at at verse six with me an and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So what did all of God's people say? Amen. And amen, right? I've never had as much fun preaching as I did when I was down in Arkansas uh, a few months back and I preached at a black gospel church. Man, it was so stinking fun. I mean, amen. Preach it, brother Josh. I mean, it was was so fun. They were just pouring gas on my fire the whole time, man. Preach it, brother. And then they've been lifting up hands. They were excited about the truths of the scripture. It is biblical to say amen. You're saying, that's the truth. I agree. I need that. I'm with you. I'm listening. Oh, yeah. I got it. That's, it's biblical. And it says they lifted up hands. They're praising the Lord. They're worshiping God. They're excited about the truths that they're reading. Really, Leviticus? They are excited. It's biblical to do this. They lifted up their hands and they bowed in worship. They respond to the book. It means that when you read the scripture, God expects you to respond to the book. So we're in Boston. It's like academia central for the entire world, right? We're in like the headquarters of academia. And so it is, we're so used to going into class, sitting through a lecture, and then walking out and saying, I'll ponder that truth. That's very interesting. Let me add that to my, uh, my reading list. God says, no, no. This is not class. This is my word. The very God of the universe who has created all things is speaking, and he demands a response. We're not talking about when your kid ignores you. That's frustrating, isn't it? They pretend like they don't hear you. My kid, it's like, got the iPad going. I'm like, I'm right here speaking. Hello. We're talking about God speaking to us. And they respond, amen, amen. We're with you. They're lifting up their hands. They're, they're, they're worshiping the Lord. James chapter 1, 22, what's it say? Some of you haven't memorized. We are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So we deceive ourselves into thinking that, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm living out the scripture, I'm I'm going to church, I'm listening. But if you're not responding, you're deceiving yourself into thinking that you're walking with the Lord and you're not. Respond to the book. Here's the next one, number eight. We've got to pursue understanding of the book. We've got to really seek to understand the book. Look at verses seven, seven and eight. And also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akob, Shabbatai, Hodiah, uh, Mahesiah, Keletah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, uh, Parallel, um, uh, Peliah, uh, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So, after reading the word, six hours, but we're not done yet, right? You know that? The church is over, you know, the sermons, you know, closing prayer, and everybody's like, it's time to go. <laughs> i got a game to go watch, right? We're not done yet. People are still walking around. The leaders come up, pastors come up, and it says they walk around and they gave sense. S-E-N-C-E-S-C. They gave, they gave sense. They helped the people to understand. So church is set up like this today for us, Right? We have connection group leaders, we have discipleship group leaders, we have river kids leaders, we have kids connect leaders, we have pastors, people who are going to give sense. They're going to help you to understand what the scriptures are saying so that if you read it and you say, I don't get that, that's okay. Be humble enough to say, somebody help me. I need I need help, right? And after you read the book, you're going to have some questions, some of you, many of us. Pursue understanding. Don't just let these questions sit your entire life. Get some Some help. And there are resources available. From study Bibles to books to people in the church who want to help you. Ask the questions, right? Pursue understanding. Don't just read it and if you don't get it, oh well, move on. Pursue understanding. Seek to know what the scriptures mean. And that's what they did. Now moving forward. Verses 9 through 12, here's what we need to do. We need to find joy in the book. We've got to find joy in the book. Check this out. And Nehemiah, who was a governor, so Nehemiah steps back in, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine. Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be greed, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So what happens? They read the scripture. They see how their lives hold up to the word. And they just start to weep. And they start to mourn. They are broken for how they have failed to live out the Scriptures. They have been broken for how they disregarded the Lord for so long. You ever been there? where you read the Scriptures, was like, man, my life is a mess. You should read the Scriptures like that sometime. You should see that your life doesn't hold up to the law. That you can't do it. Christians are not people who say, I got it. Christians are people who say, I can't live out the law. I can't. On my own. And so, in the middle of all this, weeping and mourning, what happens? Nehemiah and the Ezra Ezra and the priest, they come up and they say, Okay, it's time to stop. No more weeping. Instead, what we want you to do is we want you to eat and we want you to drink wine. Let's celebrate. The Lord is our strength. So the Bible. Is this good news or bad news? It's good news. We read the law, we read the scripture, and we see the bad news. We see our sin, we see our shortcoming, but many of us will stop right there. We'll say, yep, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. You know, people will say all the time, well, we're all just sinners. We're all just sinners. Like, no, 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 no. Well, the scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? right? The wages of sin is death. Those verses keep going. Like, like, I heard some pastors say one time, we're comma Christians. You know, A lot of people act like they're period Christians. We're, just, we're all sinners, period. No, comma, but Jesus. right? But Jesus has done something great for us. And that's where they're at right now. Right? Nehemiah, Ezra, the priests, they're saying, you can weep for a moment. You can be broken for a moment. You can see your sin for a moment. But then the scriptures will bring you to hope. Into joy, into peace, right, hold it tightly, verse 10, joy, verse 12, great rejoicing, right, where to find joy in this book, you should read this book, and you should see the parts that say you're sinful, but then you should continue to read on, and say, man, but God's grace is so good, and I don't have to weep forever, weep for a moment, joy for eternity, right, that's the Bible, that's the Bible, last section here, Verses 13 through 18, here's what we're to do. We're to delight in faithfulness to the book. Last one, we're to delight in faithfulness to the book. Check out 13 through 18. It says, and on the second day, the heads of the father's households of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And they should proclaim it and pub- publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. And so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and in the courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For From the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God that they kept the feast seven, then they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. All right. Here's how the chapter concludes. The chapter concludes with renewed faithfulness to the word of God, to the book. They realize after all of this, they have the party and they realize the next day they start studying the scriptures and they say, oh, wow, it's the seventh month. It's the the Feast of Booths, which was commanded by God uh, in the, the scriptures to commemorate God's protection from uh, the elements in the, the desert when they were in the wilderness coming out of captivity in Egypt. And they're to build these booths and to remember when they did that in the wilderness. But they had not been doing this practice for some time now. And so they say, oh my, wow, it's the it's seventh month. We need, to, we need to do this. And so it was their joy to reinstate this celebration. Well, let's do it. We can't just say, well, we didn't do it. No, let's, let's do it. And they live in these booths for seven days. And notice verse 17. It says, and there was great rejoicing. It wasn't like, oh, come on. Let's suck it up. Let's do what the Bible says. It was, we get to do what the Bible says. God knows best. God has great plans for us. And they're recorded here. And if we will live by the book, the book equals what in the scriptures? Prosperity. We get to live it out. It was joy for them. Do you delight in keeping the law of the Lord? As we read in Psalm chapter one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you read this and say, I get to live this out? Scriptures will say it's not a burden. Scripture is not intended to be a burden. It's a, a blessing. And as you grow in the book, you're gonna learn to delight in the book and you're gonna learn to see it as a great, great joy for you. And it'll be your joy to live this out I just pray that we can leave today with that on our hearts that we can leave with just this renewed excitement about the word of God that we wouldn't just see it as some holy book among many others but we would see it as the book that God has given himself to us that he has revealed himself to us today in his word today I'm seriously, I tell you, I I hunger for the Word. I just hunger for the Word. Those days that are so crazy busy, I just long for the opportunity to be quiet and be alone in God's Word. And my wife and I can give you some real definitive times in our lives where we've longed for the opportunity to live out areas of the Word where we weren't, like exercising great faith in our finances and things like that we find, wow, it's such a great joy to be able to take this step of faith, this step of obedience, and watch God do what he does. So as you press in, and I pray that you're going to press in to God's word, what you're going to find is that God's work in your life is going to be evidenced by a hunger for God's word in your life. It will. So maybe, I don't know, maybe today, for some of you, for the first time, God's word is becoming really appealing to you. That's a sign that God is working in your life, right? His work is evidenced by desire for his word. And you're, for the first time, saying, I just want to know more. I just want to know more. I remember the day I gave my life to Christ. I was an eight-year-old boy, and some people say, oh, eight's kind of young. Not for me. I, I, eight years old, I just got it. It just clicked. It was amazing. I'd heard the story of Christ so many times. But at eight years old, I remember sitting in that church, and I was like, oh man, I'm going right now. And I had to go tell the pastor. I had to give my life to Christ. I remember coming home that night and staying up late past my bedtime, reading my Bible at eight years old. I'd never really done much of that before, but I just had this hunger for the word of God. And maybe today for the first time, you're finding that in your own soul, in your own spirit. I just want, I want the word. I want to know what God has to say about life. I want to know what he has to say. He's showing you, I'm calling you right now. God's calling you to faith in him. And the Bible will say that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So some of us today need to say yes to Jesus. Say yes to Jesus and say, I recognize what you have done for me. I recognize my sin, but I'm not weeping any longer. I'm finding great joy in the fact that you died for my sin. And death doesn't have hold on you. You resurrect to life, and I'm trusting in you today. And That's some of you today, and I want to I want to encourage you to do that, to call upon the name of the Lord and say, "I trust in you, I turn from sin, I turn to you." And the Bible says that you will be saved. You will receive life eternally with the Lord. Some of us in here were Christians, and maybe today you really resonate with the people of Israel, that maybe in this moment God is reviving in your heart a, a hunger for the word that's happening right now. And you're just like, stop talking, I want to go read, right? Praise God for that, right? Praise God for that. I want you to take some time. We're going to bow our, our heads and uh, just go to the Lord in prayer. But I'm going to let you pray first. I'm going to let you lift up to the Lord anything that you need to say. Some of us in this moment need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Others of us right now are, are believers. We need to confess that we have neglected to be in the word. And you need to say, God, I I confess that. And I want to come to you in this time and ask you to continue to exercise your grace upon my life and help me to be in your word. Let me pray. Father, in this moment, we come before you so thankful for your word, for your scriptures. And God, I pray that your people in this moment would be encouraged at the idea that God would reveal himself in words so that we might know you, that though you are so otherly and so beyond us, you want to reveal yourself to us in your scriptures. God, would you ignite a hunger for, for you through your word in our hearts? For people today who need to give their life to Jesus, I pray that you would prompt them to do that in this time. That they would exercise faith in you. And say yes to you. For people in here, Father, who have neglected to be in your word, it's just not a priority in their lives. God, I pray that you would help them to repent and to respond in obedience and faithfulness and find great joy in that opportunity because of your grace and your goodness and your mercy. Do that in our hearts, Father, as we respond in prayer and in song. In Jesus' name we pray.